You are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information visit commongroundcma.org. Thank you, Evan. I've noticed there's no clock in this place. I don't know what you're laughing about. <laughs> um, before I get going here, um, could I ask you to pray one more time? I just got word that a dear friend of mine and his wife, both loving Christians, who lost their grown daughter about five years ago in a tragic accident, just lost their second daughter last night. She choked. And uh, she leaves behind a husband and children. And right now they're just reeling uh, from these losses. So that's weighing pretty heavy on my heart. So uh, if you would, could, could we pray together? Father, I bring Mike and Mary to you. I know they love you. And I know that they've been walking through some really tough stuff. And God, I know in days like this, it's really easy to think, well, what is... What is God doing? What is he doing to me? And, and Lord, we know that you're, you don't do things to people. You're, you're always doing things for people. And, and it's been that way since the dawn of time. God, your heart is breaking even more than theirs because of the brokenness of mankind. And, and that's what we're experiencing. And we just prayed for broken people. So, Lord, uh, draw near to them. Do what you did for Naomi, who lost her husband and her two sons and thought that everything of life had been drained. Uh, you weren't done with her story, Lord, and you brought Ruth and Boaz into it. So I, I pray that you'll do the same for Mike and Mary, that in some way, Lord, you would show up with your amazing said love and... Uh, Get them through uh, this with hope, uh, with hope that there is something yet to come beyond this lifetime. Hope to be reunited with their daughters. So God, thank you that we can come to you with the burdens that are on our hearts and lay them at your feet. And uh, Lord, I pray that uh, if there are any burdens here uh, amongst us, that we would do the same right now. Just Lord, take these things because they're in your hands and and. That's a better place than our hands. Um, so take these cares, these concerns, these worries from us, Lord, so that we're free. And uh, not to forget these things, uh, not to be mindful of these things, but free, Lord, to walk in the way that you would have us walk. Free to praise you and free to worship you in spite of really lousy circumstances. So, Lord, we do. We love you and we thank you and we do pray that uh, um, you would open ears and hearts and... Uh, uh, tongues and vocal cords so that your kingdom is communicated today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for that. Uh, in a moment, I'm going to get to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So if you want to go ahead and flip there uh, and be ready for that, that would be great. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, we are working through a series called Mission Hills. We're looking at the mission of God to make his name known to all the nations of this world, all the peoples of this world. And, uh, and he invites us and empowers us to be a, a part of that. 
And I'm pretty sure that there's probably some people that when we talk about you stepping into God's mission, that might just cause a little bit of trepidation, uh, a little bit of fear, <laughs> a little bit of, oh, I, uh, I don't know, I might mess that up. Better leave it to other people. You know, people like the Apostle Paul. That guy was a powerhouse, right? That's not me. I'm not the, the Apostle Paul. Well, what we're going to look at today, what I'm going to share with you today, um, hopefully will encourage you and, and help you through that. Uh, in the coming weeks, uh, I'm going to be actively recruiting some of you to share your story. And really, your story is God's story. Uh, you're just, uh, he, he just kind of wrote you into it as a character in this great madness opus that he is doing concerning salvation. And, uh, and, and I'm going to equip you to be able to share your story in a five to ten minute segment. You don't have to tell the whole story, but how Christ has brought salvation to your doorstep. And uh, that's something he does throughout our entire lives. So your story might have several chapters. So you might be uh, uh, part one, part two, part three in days to come. But I want to give you guys that opportunity. So I'm going to share a little bit about my story today. Because I am not the Apostle Paul. I am not a powerhouse uh, when it comes to sharing the gospel of God's kingdom with people either. So the first 22 years of my life or so, um, I believed in God. I'd heard about Jesus. My folks took me to church. I went down down in the basement. uh, And this will show how old I am. You know, it's like I had to saddle up my T-Rex and go to church or something. Uh, But uh, they had these things called flannel graphs. Okay, now I'm seeing everybody who has silvery white hair kind of nodding their head, and a few younger ones who apparently have experienced those things. But, you know, you just have little cut-out figures, Bible characters, and you stick them on the flannel, and it sticks because they're flannel, too. It was pre-Velcro, pre-PowerPoint. It was an amazing piece of technology for storytelling. And uh, I'll never forget, seven years old, I heard the story about Stephen, Acts chapter 7, and how he spoke up for Jesus Christ, and a bunch of people throw rocks at him until his brain fell out of his ears and killed him, right? And so I, I, I left that Sunday school absolutely terrified, you know, of what it meant to follow Jesus. Um, it just didn't make sense to me. And for 22 years of my life, it just didn't make sense to me. Like I said, I believed in God, I believed that I knew something about Jesus, but I just didn't know how he fit into the picture, especially the picture of my life. So I had this idea that it was up to me. That if I was going to walk in a relationship with God, it, it, it rested upon me to do it right. Okay? And so I lived that, that lie of trying harder constantly. Trying to please God. And uh, you all know this, that uh, none of us can keep a perfect score at that. And, uh, and I wasn't. And uh, it didn't matter how good of a person I was. There was always something. There was some thought. Some action, some deed, something from my past that uh, elicited a lot of guilt and shame. Oh, that was close. You don't want to spoon guilt and shame because you might get a really bad word. <laughs> um, and, and, and I was starting to get kind of crushed under the weight of that. Uh, after a while, I realized, man, people don't care. People don't care what kind of life you're living. They don't care if you're a good person or a bad person. And so pretty soon I stopped caring. And as soon as I stopped caring, I started filling this this vacuum that I had in my life with things like alcohol and drugs and parties and, and things like that. And, you know, I couldn't even do that right. 
Uh, I really messed that up bad. Bad relationships and, uh, and, you know, the whole ball of wax. Well, interesting that Evan would have you pray for names today. Because a friend of mine in high school was the only Christian I knew. And the reason I say he's the only Christian that I knew is because he's the only one that while we were seniors in high school came to me and told me about Jesus. Told me about how he died on a cross. Now, unfortunately, it made no sense to me. Because then I thought it was still up to me. Why would, why would Jesus have to do that if it's, if it's up to me? So what he shared with me, I would kind of roll up into a little ball and just toss back at him and reject what he had to say. Uh, and uh, that happened several times. Uh, to the point where I kind of told Jim to quit talking about this stuff. Okay, And maybe you have friends that might respond that way. Don't give up on them. Jim went to a youth conference in his senior year after we graduated and uh, heard a speaker talk about the need for us to take the good news of salvation to those who don't understand it, to those who can't make sense of it. And uh, when they got done, you know, this is what they do at, at youth conferences. He said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to count to three, and then when I hit three, I want you to just stand out and shout a name. That's the name that you aren't just going to pray for. That's the name you're going to go after. And so he counted to three, and Jim stood up and shouted, Necrombo. As soon as he got back to church, he got a bunch of his, uh, or back home, he got a bunch of his, uh, his faithful church ladies there to pray. Um, and I gotta tell you, you're sunk right there. If you, if the church ladies are praying for you, <laughs> just give up, you know, slither up to the altar and say, here I am, Lord. Um, but it took about five years. It took about five years, uh, for Jim to just faithfully love me. And uh, to let me be me and never give up on me. Uh, to the finally got to the point where um, I nearly lost my life while I was fighting a fire as a firefighter. Got heat stroke, went down, crashed. I usually don't bounce back from heat stroke, but I guess God had some plans for me. And a couple of weeks after that, I came upon a, a vehicle accident uh, which involved a fatality, and uh, I, I I watched this guy who was about the same age as me. I watched him leave this earth, and uh, I, I, I knew he went someplace. You could tell. Uh, you could tell that whatever puts that sparkle in somebody's eyes, that mischievous smile on their lips, that kind of thing, uh, that whatever that is, that that's just walking around in this meat suit here. And when death comes, that goes someplace. And I sat there for a long time wondering, where did he go? I had to sit there for a long time because the highway department or the highway patrol shut down uh, that stretch of the highway because the individual that caused the accident that killed this man uh, was under the influence of alcohol and they had to do a vehicular homicide investigation. So I had to just sit and basically do vigil over the this person's body until they said, "Okay, we can we can load him up and send him off now." And uh, I went home wrecked that night. Uh, and uh, I, I cried a lot, and I didn't cry for this guy so much because I, I had no idea who he was. He was a stranger, uh, but I was weeping a lot for myself because how many times did I drive that same stretch of highway and uh, not remember all of the drive because I was under the influence when that happened. 
And how many times maybe a family or something had gone by me. And by God's grace, uh, that never happened. So I knew right then and there I needed help. Uh, that alcohol had me, I didn't have it. Uh, so uh, I, <laughs> the next party, I went to my, one of my party monster friends, went up to his cabin, and a whole bunch of people are there. And uh, as soon as I showed up, they knew what Nick liked. They had a Windsor Coke right there waiting for me, put it right in my hand. And I thought, okay, uh, this is how I beat my brother at pool. I would milk a beer all night long while he finished the pitcher, right? <laughs> so I thought, I can do that. I'm going to milk this, I'm going to milk this drink. So uh, I, I just took a sip. I don't remember anything after that sip. I woke up on the cabin floor the next morning. No memory of the entire evening. And that was when I realized that I could not control my sin. It was controlling me. And that was when I knew... I'm lost. So I called my friend Jim. And I said, Jim, I need some place to go some Friday night. <laughs> other than to a bar, other than to my friend's house. Uh, <laughs> so give me, give me an option here. He goes, well, you can come over to my place. I have a Bible study on Friday nights. That's not what I wanted to hear. You know? But he said, uh, you know, why don't you come this Friday? Because we're actually kind of taking a break from our study. We're between some our topics right now. And we're just going to play charades and eat ice cream. So, okay. I've never played charades before in my life. And I kicked everybody's butt that night. Okay. And uh, I ate ice cream. And everybody there was very accepting of me. Even though I could reach back here and grab my hair between my shoulder blades. That's how long it was. And it was the big metal hair. Somebody once mistook me for the drummer for the band Night Ranger. You probably have to Google them because they're a one-hit wonder band. But, uh, and, and everybody just accepted me for right where I was at. And, you know, I had kind of this perspective of Christians that didn't fit the perspective I was getting that night from them. This, just this acceptance. Um, none of this fake, sugar-coated, duty, uh, you know, goody-two-shoe kind of stuff. Just real people having fun, laughing about stuff and, and life and things. So I remember going home with that impression, but huh, that's, that's different. So the next week came along and I called up Jim and I said, hey Jim, Friday's coming, I don't want to go to the bar. Oh man, that's right, you have that Bible study, don't you? He goes, yeah, we do, but he says, we're taking another Friday off because there's this speaker who's come to town. He's going to be at the, at the Rushmore Plaza Civic Center. And uh, it's youth night, so we're going there to hand out cheeseburgers to the teenagers that show up. And I'm like, can I come and hand out cheeseburgers? And he goes, yeah, you can do that. Really, I was thinking, can I eat a few cheeseburgers while I'm handing them out? And uh, so I went there handing out cheeseburgers to all these teenagers, and I did not like teenagers. I'm going to tell you that right now, I did not like teenagers. Uh, and then this, this professional football player came up, and I don't remember his name because he played for this really insignificant team, the, the Minnesota Vikings. <laughs> And he shared this, he shared a testimony, okay? He shared this story about how he came to Christ. And I, I listened to that and I remember thinking, good for you. You know, that sounds like, you know, kudos to you. It sounds like you kind of got your life put to, you know, but that's not for me. That's, that's this religious stuff. No, that's, that's all right for you, but not for me. And uh, then after he was done, we went inside to the theater, about 2,000 people in that auditorium there. And this guy came out, was, he was a Canadian, Ray. 
Yeah. Barry Moore. They called him the Canadian Billy Graham, I guess. Uh, I'd never heard of him before. And he got up there and he started talking and I thought, how did he know that I was here? And why is he talking to me when there's 1,999 other people to talk to here? But somehow, um, he spoke in a way that my heart was penetrated. And suddenly I saw who Jesus was. That Jesus was God come to earth in the flesh to do what I could not do. And that was to live the perfectly good life. So that he could then be the sacrifice that none of us could ever be. And pay the penalty for every single one of our sins. That's why the cross happened. And the resurrection happened a couple days later. To demonstrate that who he said he was, he definitely is. And the work that he did is it. It was finished. Made perfect sense. I still had to make a decision. I remember sitting in this long... If you've ever been in the Rushmore Plaza Civic Center, whoever the architect was that needs to be thumped on the head because there's no middle aisle, right? Just a long row of seats and then side aisles. And I'm sitting right dead center in this thing and I'm going, I've got to get out of here because he's going to give an altar call. And uh, yeah, sure enough, he, he gave an invitation to come and give your life to Jesus Christ. And my heart started to beat and I thought, I thought the sternum was going to just fall out of my chest. And, uh, and I got up because I had to get out of there. And as I was, as I was walking, you know, and, and saw the, excuse me, pardon me, awkwardness, you know, trying to get past people because the rows are real, the seats are really close together. Um, uh, I heard people praying for me as I walked by. And I thought, okay, when I get, when I get to the end of this aisle, I'm, I'm going to destroy my life. Because if I turn right and leave the Civic Center, I'm going to continue on the path that I'm on, and I'm going to I'm going to destroy my life. And I seriously believe I probably wouldn't have survived the next couple of years had I done that. But if I turn left and go up to this altar to say I'm I'm ready to receive Christ as my Savior and my Lord, and and start following Him, that's going to destroy my life. So who's going to destroy my life? Is it going to be God, or is it going to be me? <laughs> and uh, and I. I Jim gave me a Bible when we were in high school, and I, I read a little bit of it, and I don't know why people do this, but what's the first book we tend to go read when we're not familiar with the Bible? <laughs> Revelation. <laughs> Revelation scares Jesus out of you, you know, if you don't understand what it's about, but for some reason, you know, I had read that, and while I was walking along, people were praying for me, and I had to make this decision, is it going to be God, is it going to be me, who is someone's going to wreck my life? Um, I, and I know that this is out of context, but this is, this is what happened, I, and I don't memorize scripture very well, and I sure wasn't memorizing scripture back then, uh, but as my chest was, my, my heart was just beating against my sternum here, um, I heard clear as a bell between my two ears. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Any who would invite me in, I will come and have fellowship with him. And I said, that's it. That's God. So I turned left. 
and found myself standing with a whole bunch of teenagers who were making the same decision. You know? now, I was in my 20s, and uh, here they were, and I thought, good for them. They're making a decision that I didn't make a few years ago, and hopefully they'll avoid some of the decisions that I made in life uh, that train wrecked me. Uh, Jim was sitting beside me that night, and uh, my friends, other friends told me that when I turned left, Jim fell to his knees and wept. We all need a friend like Jim Crosby. And we have friends that definitely need us to be friends like Jim Crosby. That we're going to call out their name, we're going to pursue that name and keep putting that name before God. And we're going to love that person the way Christ loves us until the Holy Spirit helps them to believe what they have never been able to believe before. Because that's what happened. It was a miracle. Uh, God enabled me to believe what I just could not believe uh, before. Now, as I say all that, I also realized that uh, when I made that decision, that that meant I had to do the same thing. I had to, I had to share with friends, and uh, that's going to be the next sermon that I do, and and how that works. Because frankly, anybody that I've ever led to Jesus Christ has been purely by accident, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but what I wanted to share was one of the things that I learned right away uh, in doing that. So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And remember, this is Paul the powerhouse, Paul the apostle, Paul the guy who knew the Old Testament inside and out. Paul, the guy that had such a radical conversion with Jesus Christ that who could best explain what redemption looks like? Paul the apostle. Yeah. Uh, and here's what he says. Beginning with verse 1. And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you with uh, the test. Or, I'm sorry, let me start over. And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And uh, I, I think there's just like four quick things that we can take away from what Paul just said there. That I hope will encourage you as it has encouraged me in the last 30 some years of ministry. Paul says, when I came to you, brother, see what Paul did is he came to them. He didn't wait for them to come to him. And I think that's one of the weaknesses of the church today is that we have this field of dreams idea. Build it and they will come. Create another program. We'll draw them in. Have a, have a smoking good worship leader like Matt, and uh, they're going to want to come and hear the music and, and things like that. By the way, the ladies, you, that was awesome this morning. Thank you for that. Yeah, yeah that was good. We, we, we were really blessed here. God has gifted us here. Um, but, yeah, we just kind of think, yeah, okay, I'll just sit back and, and eventually they'll come to me and then I'll do my thing. And that's never been it. Because, you see, that's what God does. God comes. God goes and he comes to us. He doesn't wait for us to come to him. You see, he pursues us. 
That's one of the things that took me a long time to figure out that all that time in my life, the whole time God was hounding me. And I can look back at it in hindsight now and see how he was doing that. But that's what God is doing. When Paul says, I came to you, he's setting an example for us to follow what Jesus said. When he said, go and make disciples, we need to go where we can share. And so that'd be the first thing I'd say to my brothers and sisters in Christ. Go where you can share. And in this country, that's pretty much any place. Any place. Anywhere in the world, it's possible to go and to share the good news of Jesus Christ. In fact, there's no barrier, there's no obstacle that God cannot overcome. Go where you can share. And then he said, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Okay, and, and what he's talking about is that eloquent rhetoric, eloquent rhetoric of the Greek age, especially in the city of Corinth. Nor with that uh, um, philosophy of the Greek teachers. You know, and Paul didn't come here to say, look, I can, I can persuade you with my words. I can give you an argument that is unassailable. Uh, I, I can use my wisdom in such a way that will make you go, wow, he's really smart. But I think a lot of us think that's what it takes to share the gospel. You know, and, and, and Jesus is like, hey, get to it. And we're like, well, you know, I don't talk so good. Neither did Moses. And neither does Paul. Jesus entrusted Simon Peter to communicate the gospel. This was the guy that had his foot in his mouth half the time. You see, God's not waiting for us to develop this eloquent rhetoric. Nor is he expecting us to have all the knowledge in the world. He just says, go. I don't require those things. Those things aren't necessary. What I've given you is what you got. Use it. And then I think verse 2 is probably the key of this whole thing where Paul says, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's it. Just Jesus, Jesus on a cross. Nothing but. And again, I think that we're kind of concerned that if I go and share Jesus with somebody, then we're going to get into this big theological discussion. And, and I really don't understand that much about eschatology or pneumatology or ecclesiology or demonology or angiology or any other deep thing that makes me go, oh, gee. All we're supposed to do is speak simple theology. Because you're a theologian. Harry, you are a theologian. Why? Because you have a particular belief in God. An atheist is a theologian. Because he has a concept of God non-existent. Which is weird because you have to have a concept of God existing before you can think of him non-existing. But every single human being is a theologian. And all we have to do is just keep it simple. If they bring up questions about this or that, just go back to Jesus and the cross. Say, this is all I know. Jesus 
God in the flesh, loved me so much that he took my sins upon himself so that I could be set free if I would just believe and receive. I don't know why we complicate it so much, but it's just that. And sometimes we have to say it more than once before it finally sinks in. And sometimes the person we're sharing it with needs to hear it from five or six other people. I've heard it said that it takes 5.3 people to win one person to Jesus Christ. Heck, I'm happy if I'm just 0.3. And you might be number one. You might not ever see the fruit of it. But you keep telling them about Jesus. Because somewhere down the road, someone's going to make sense to them because that's the time God had appointed for them. So all you have to do is tell people, you know what, there is a God and His name is Jesus. He made that claim Himself and He backed the claim up. He's the reason that you and I exist. He doesn't want to be separated from you. So He came here to do whatever it would take to prevent eternal separation. And He did it without any help from any of us by dying on a cross and walking out of a grave. That's it. Simple theology. Gospel in a nutshell. So Paul then goes on in verse 3 and says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. That's not the picture I usually get of the Apostle Paul. You know, I, I think of him as a steam locomotive just rolling in, you know, and here it is. Man, he just talks and people repent. But Paul suffered from the same thing you and I suffer from. Weaknesses, fears, apprehension. Paul struggled too. We all struggle. And this gets us to kind of the main point of all of this in verse 4. Paul says, My speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and the power. So your faith would rest not in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And that word power in the Greek is dunamis. It's where we get the English word dynamite. Have you ever seen or ever been near dynamite going off? It, it will make your ribcage turn inside out. Now, my dad did some of that for a while. Uh, blasting out rocks uh, when they were digging trenches and stuff like that. And I got to be present once during a blast. That much power in that little bit almost made me wet myself. And that's nothing compared to the dynamite of God. The power of God. In Romans, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Now the Corinthians, if you read this book carefully, they, they started getting ashamed of the gospel. But Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the dynamite of God for salvation for those who believe. To the Jew first and the Greek also. And that's what you got and that's what I have if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. Because if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he has given you the Holy Spirit to dwell within you. He has leveled the temple. The temple no longer exists. It's no longer this idea of build it and they will come. That was the temporary idea. A house of prayer for all nations to come and be where the presence of God is. But now the presence of God is in you and me as believers in Jesus Christ. And we are temples on wheels. To go out to where the people are. 
And when we go, we go with power. Because we don't have any ourselves. We don't have this plausible words of wisdom. But we have the Holy Spirit. Because when people believe, they need to know God did this. And God alone. That was just the, the envelope that God sent me the message in. And that's what we are. We're all envelopes. Stamped and sealed by the Holy Spirit to go and make disciples. So I'm going to wrap up with this. It's one of my favorite questions to ask people. You know what God loves best about you? You know what God loves best about you? It's what he loves best in all of us. He loves the thing you probably hate the most about you. He loves your weaknesses. Because I'm standing here in much weakness. I hate public speaking. I hate getting up in front of people and talking. It terrifies me. And I think it's a cruel, practical joke that God played on me to call me into ministry. And even though I've done this for well over 30 years now, it, He has not taken that fear away. It's still here. And it probably always will be, and I hope so. Because I would rather depend on Him than upon any ability that I might have. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, there's a very familiar passage here um, where this powerhouse Paul, the only reason he's a powerhouse is because the Spirit's in his house. Says to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. And that's what our weaknesses are. They're the things that keep us from getting all full of ourselves. You know, thinking we're hot sun on a gold platter when in reality we're just cold boogers on a paper plate. <laughs> That'll probably be the only thing you remember. <laughs> That's why I don't like public speaking. <laughs> Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this and it should lead me. You know, maybe you've done that too, where there's something about you you don't like and you say, God, would you please fix this? God says, no. So you try again, he says, no. You try a third time, he says, no. Now in the Jewish mind, once something was done in threes, that was it. It's done and sealed. He says, I pleaded three times with the Lord about this, that it should lead me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul says, therefore, I'm going to boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, I am strong. So, 
when you hear us say, get out of these chairs and take the gospel someplace for the sake of someone else's soul so that the power of salvation can be realized in them. And you might think, I'm not strong enough to do that or smart enough to do that or knowledgeable enough to do that or eloquent enough to do that. I'm weak. I hope you remember that God says to us, my grace is enough. And my power shows up perfectly in your weaknesses. So common ground, walk in those weaknesses, but walk dependent upon God to show up. Because if he did it for you, to bring you to the knowledge of salvation, he's going to do it for others. Evan? Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at Common Ground Church.